Welcome to Untangle, the podcast from Meditation Studio. I'm Patricia Karpus. In this series, we introduce you to real people with extraordinary stories and experts who share how meditation and mindfulness practices change our lives. Our podcast is brought to you by Meditation Studio, Apple's pick as one of the 10 best apps of the year. Why download the app? Because life is messy. We get stressed, anxious, have trouble sleeping, we work too hard, we deal with conflict, our hearts get broken, we worry about the state of the world, we meditate because we're human. Our app gives you hundreds of meditations from over 30 leading experts. It helps a lot. And if you haven't tried the app yet, you can now download it for free and explore a starter series with Elisha Goldstein plus a sample of some of our favorite guided meditations in the Discover collection. And if you've already got the app, check out our new unguided meditation timer where you can create your own meditations with or without our brand new pretty amazing music tracks. And don't forget the eight free meditations on Alexa. Just ask her to enable Meditation Studio. This week's guest is the enchanting Emily Fletcher, the founder of Ziva Meditation, and one of our favorite teachers on Meditation Studio. We've had Emily on the show before, so many of you may know her story as a once stressed out Broadway actress, now world-class meditation teacher. Emily loves that more and more people are coming to her courses to learn tools to perform at the top of their game. She talks about the internal pharmacy we all have within us, which gives us the capacity with the right tools and discipline to change habits, reduce stress, and overall gives us the power to heal ourselves. Her new course, the Ziva Stress Solution, offers a very cool combination of tools that include mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting to help us limit stress, but also to optimize performance. You can check that out on zivameditation.com. There's more detail at the end of the show. Now, here's Emily. Emily, I'm so excited to have you back on Untangle today. It feels like I'm home again. What a joy to be speaking to you again. You are home again. We love you. I want to start our interview by really asking you about why anxiety is so rampant in our culture right now. I would just love your thoughts on that because I know so much of the work that you do really is to help people with stress and anxiety. Yeah, well, I think this is a big question. And I know that scientists are starting to call stress, which I would call anxiety, a flavor of stress. They're calling stress the black plague of our century. And I don't think that that's an over-exaggeration. I recently learned that stress is responsible for approximately 90% of all doctor's visits, which was a little mind-blowing to me, even as a meditation teacher. So I think that we really are dealing with an epidemic of sorts. And the thing is, it's oftentimes it's a little silent. Like we don't actually see the stress until it shows up in some more acute symptom. It's like if you have an AC on in the background and you don't hear it until you turn it off. So a lot of people are are running on adrenaline and cortisol and they don't even know it. They don't understand how that's impacting their adrenals, their sleep, their immune system, their performance, their ability to be compassionate. But once you start a meditation practice and you start to get rid of those things, it's like you turn off that white noise in the background. You start to eradicate that stress that gets stored in all of our cellular memories that's keeping us from having our full performance capabilities for the task at hand, for the present moment. And so... Why I think that stress and anxiety is at a real (laughs) 
tipping point right now, or hopefully a climax that we're going to see a decrease from. I think it's multifaceted. I would say a big one is smartphones. You know, these things have been designed to make us addicted to them. And if you are addicted to work, then great, your smartphone is there for you (laughs) and it, it will give you the illusion of productivity. If you are addicted to people liking you or social approval, well, great, you've got your social media apps right there on your smartphone. If you have insomnia, well, great, you've got your smartphone right there, right next to your bed to keep you up and look into a shiny bright box all night. And so it really can feed off of and feed almost any addiction that we have. And so I think that it's, we don't want to underestimate how much smartphones have changed our brains and our behaviors in the past few years. I think that it's not too dramatic to say that you could think of your life like pre-iPhone and post-iPhone, smartphone and post-smartphone. So that's one element. I think another element that's adding to anxiety is our food, the actual food that we consume. If you think about the human body as a chemistry set, every thought that we think is impacting our chemistry, but so is every bite of food. And you could either be feeding your bliss or feeding your stress with every bite of food. And oftentimes we get into caffeine cabernet cycle. (laughs) We caffeinate all day and then we cabernet all night. I love that. (laughs) And then we get trapped. It's like we need these uppers to make us focused and clear-headed during the day, but then we're so stimulated at night that we can't wind down. And so then we have to drink to wind down. And that can become a pretty vicious cycle. And it's fascinating to me also that the drugs that are legal in the US and most of the world Mm -hmm. is caffeine and sugar and alcohol and nicotine. Because caffeine, sugar, and nicotine, they're productivity drugs, right? They're things that make us work more. And then we're so amped from doing those all day that we need some booze to take it down at night. And this is not a judgment. I don't drink coffee because it's not my jam, but I drink alcohol from time to time. So this is not a judgment, but it is a call to action. It's an invitation really to have us all check in with ourselves to say, am I reliant on these external substances to give me energy during the day? And am I reliant on these external substances to wind me down at night? Because I think that the reality is our brain and our bodies have this beautiful internal pharmacy that many of us are not using because we're reaching to external substances to do these jobs for us. And once you tap into this beautiful, extensive internal pharmacy, then you can be so much healthier and happier and self-sufficient. Yeah. No, I love what you're saying about tapping into that internal pharmacy. And I think in addiction to the all of these addictions that you're talking about, we're addicted to our habits and the habits that we create. So I also love that you were talking about every thought that we have and everything we put into our system has a real impact on us. You've taught now, I think, something like over 6,000 people. And I am pretty sure you continue to see an increase in demand. What are you seeing in some of the people that are coming in there? And what are your favorite tools and techniques for really helping people to understand that meditation can have the kind of impact that it's had on your life, for example? People come to Ziva with all different kinds of issues, but what a trend that I actually enjoy that I'm seeing lately is that people are not waiting until they hit rock bottom before they try meditation. It used to be so fringe, it used to be so hippy-dippy that people would be embarrassed to try it or wouldn't even do it until it was a last resort, until they've tried everything else and nothing else worked, or their life was just so down and out that they're like, well, I have to do something. But that's changing very quickly. People are not waiting for that moment. They're starting to come to meditation 
meditation to start to up-level their performance and up-level their productivity. And that's really what I specialize in. I feel like people come to me when they're ready to really perform at the top of their game. And sometimes that's happening because people are moving away from a pain point. They're moving away from insomnia or anxiety or a quote unquote incurable illness or a divorce or some big life event. But oftentimes people are coming to me when they want to get a promotion at work or write that book or feel like they actually have time with their kids and they're not constantly feeling guilty at home because they're not at work and not feeling guilty at work because they're not at home. They just want to optimize their life, whatever that means to the person. And so that's a fun trend that I'm really happy about. The people are coming to meditation really as a tool to enhance their lives versus a way to get out of a ditch. So when you're talking about up-leveling performance, the flip side of that is like anxiety taking up so much space in your mm -hmm. brain and your body. And mm -hmm. so is part of becoming mastering performance, letting go of the anxiety that's taking so much space up in ourselves. Yes. I think that's really well said. And the trick here is that a lot of times, especially high performers, think that they need their stress. I teach a lot of actors, I teach a lot of CEOs, and they say the same thing to me, but in different ways. My actors to say, Emily, I need my stress, I need my angst, that's where my creativity comes from. I need my hurdy-poos, because that's where my art comes from. <laughs> my, my CEO clients will say to me, Emily, I need my stress, I need my angst, that's what gives me my competitive edge. But the reality is, stress makes you stupid just period, the end. Stress makes you stupid. Unless you are currently being attacked by a tiger or you currently need to lift a car off of a baby, then stress is not doing you any favors in the productivity or performance department because stress really, it has one purpose, acute stress. That is to get you out of a life-threatening situation. And the trick is that there is such a thing as good stress. You know, if you go to a sauna or an ice bath or high intensity interval training. Like that's quote unquote good stress. That's something called hormesis where you strengthen the strong mitochondria in your body and you kill off the weak ones. What I'm talking about really is chronic stress, this daily stress where we get into fight or flight mode, but then we stay there for weeks, months, sometimes decades. And the body is releasing adrenaline and cortisol, which are acidic in nature, which prematurely age the body. They break down the actual gray and white matter in your brain so it can lead to brain atrophy it can lead to a deep decrease in your skin elasticity a breakdown in your immune system and so while we might think that stress is giving us a competitive edge if it stays in your body for any length of time, it starts to cost you an awful lot mentally and physically. And so I feel like my job as a meditation teacher is to not only give people tools to eradicate the stress from their body, but also to give them the intellectual understanding of what stress is costing them. Because I think a lot of people see it right now as like a luxury item of like, oh, when I'm not so busy, I'll get around to that meditation thing. But we've got to reframe this. We have to start to educate people to see that meditation is the single most important piece of mental hygiene that we all need to be practicing. Otherwise, our stress is managing us instead of us managing our stress because stress is there, right? Like yeah. the world is happening. Politics yeah. are what they are. Finance is what it is. The economy is what it is. The world is changing. Technology is speeding up. And so our job as humans right now is to adapt and we're being called upon to adapt faster and faster and faster. And that's very hard to do if you don't have a meditation practice. Yeah. I mean, you talk about people who have chronic stress and for weeks on end and when they're in that stress mode, they're just going, 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 and you're multitasking, you're on autopilot, you're just trying to manage your busyness. And is it in that state that you think we become 
stupid, quote unquote? And why do people think that their edge comes from that? And then how does meditation really help with that edge and not relax you completely so that you don't move forward? So a good example that will illustrate this thing of stress making you stupid is basically there's a reason why you can't find your keys when they're in your hand when you're rushing to get out the door. (laughs) There's a reason why you can't find your glasses when you're freaking out about where your glasses are. It's because if you get stressed about a thing, then your body is launching involuntarily into fight or flight. And I know we say that word a lot, fight or flight. And I may have even mentioned it on another interview, but I think it's important to revisit what actually happens to the body when we launch into that fight or flight mode. Mm-hmm. Digestion floods with acid, which actually shuts down your digestion. Um, your skin gets acidic so that if a saber-toothed tiger were to bite into you, you wouldn't taste very good. Your immune system goes to the back burner because you need all of your energy to prepare for the predatory attack. Your sex drive goes to the back burner and your adrenaline and cortisol levels increase. They go through the roof. And so all of those chemical reactions are useful if you're dealing with a predatory attack. But if you're dealing with your in-laws or an acquisition of a company or how many Facebook followers you have or what your kid's homework assignment grade was, then this fight or flight stress reaction has become maladaptive and it's now disallowing us from performing at the top of our game. So I think that the reason why people think that it's helping them is simply that they're addicted to it and they don't know who they would be without it. Like stress is costing us so much and we use so much energy managing it And it becomes such a big part of our lives and even our identity that I think people actually get scared of who they will be and what they will become without it. And it's scary to step into the unknown. But what I've found, and as you said, it's 7,000 times over. I've had the amazing honor of teaching 7,000 people to meditate. And what I see time and time and time again is that there is a period of what I would call like emotional and physical detox that happens for people. And I think that's a lot of what they're scared of. People don't want to walk through that fire. But again, that's my job as a teacher is to help illustrate that once you walk through that fire, once you're bravely move through the uncomfortability of eradicating the lifetime of stored stress in the body, then what you have on the other side is freedom. What you have is your full performance capabilities. You have the ability to choose how you respond to a demand versus it choosing you. And so what's happening there physiologically, like you asked why meditation gets rid of stress and why that helps performance. And I think one thing that I want to clarify here is that there are lots and lots of different styles of meditation. I mean, anyone that knows the Meditation Studio app, they see that there's lots of different teachers and lineages and styles, and they all can be very beautiful, but they do do different things to the body and to the brain. And I think it's important to highlight those differences. Otherwise, it can be confusing. It's like saying the word food, right? Right. It's like eating a smoothie or eating a burger, like both delicious, but they're going to do different things to you. So And this is only according to Emily Fletcher. Like I'm sure other people have different opinions on this and viewpoints on this. But if you had to break all the meditation into two categories, I would break it down into mindfulness and meditation. And what most people are practicing these days is what I would call mindfulness. It's some version of a guided visualization or a drop-in studio where either someone is guiding you through or you're focusing on your breath or you're visualizing something. And these can all be really beautiful and they can be beautiful in different ways and achieve different goals. And I do a lot of them. But mindfulness is keeping you a little bit more in your left brain, more of a waking state phenomenon. Now, what I would personally call meditation 
is where you're accessing a verifiable fourth state of consciousness, something different than waking, sleeping, or dreaming. And in this state of consciousness, you give your body rest that's five times deeper than sleep. So it's sort of like taking this deep, supercharged power nap, but on the other side, you don't have a sleep hangover. And so what meditation is doing is that it's actually giving your body this deep healing rest. And when you give your body the rest that it needs, it knows how to heal itself. And one of the things that it heals itself from is stress. So you start to let go of the stress, not only from today, but all of your stress from your past, all of that stress that we've been accumulating in our cells for our whole lives. And so the way I like to think about it is that mindfulness is very good at like a state change. Like if you want to change your day, your state of consciousness, you're about to prepare for something, it's really good at dealing with your stress in the present moment. And meditation is really good at getting rid of your stress from the past. The trick there is that there's a price to pay for that because it can cause a bit of a mental and emotional and physical detox of sorts because that stress has to go somewhere. How does that work when you say the stress has to go somewhere? Well, it's like if you've ever quit smoking Mm -hmm. or if you've ever done a juice cleanse or a water fast, there's a period where even though you're doing something quote unquote good for yourself, you feel awful. Right. You know, like day three of a juice cleanse is awful. You're foggy and hazy and angry. And it's when your body goes into fasting mode, it can start to actually run maintenance operations. It can start to expel all of the things that it doesn't have the energy to do when you're constantly digesting. If you're eating all the time and digesting food, then your body can't run those cleansing maintenance operations. Similarly, if we're constantly digesting information and the brain is constantly engaged in reading, writing, music, conversations, computers, iPhones, we've all become like bulimic of the brain right now. We don't even take a time to digest. Forget about purge. You wait for the elevator for 30 seconds. What do you do? You pull out your phone. You stop at a stop sign for a minute. You pull out your phone. It's not safe, but everyone's doing it. So... What meditation does is that it not only gives you time to digest, but it actually then gives the body time to purge, to get rid of that stress. And it comes out in different ways. In the meditation itself, it comes out in the form of thoughts, but it can come out in your sleep in the form of dreams or nightmares. But most people get a little emotional, like a little sad or angry. And really that's my job is to help people through that part of the process. I know I'm making a really good sales pitch for Ziva. Right? <laughs> We're like, oh, it sounds terrible. But the reality is different for everyone. I don't really like giving time limits, but it's not yeah. forever. It's for some people a couple of days, but it dissipates as you go. And then all the while you're noticing this increase in energy, this increase in joy, compassion, serendipity, synchronicity, intelligence, creativity, like all the while, all these other processes that haven't been able to be optimized because they've been so compromised by the stress in the body that's been slowing it down. All of those things start up-leveling quite quickly. And so the return on investment seems worth it very quickly. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about this because you have now a stress masterclass. Is it called the stress solution? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I was loving reading about that because you talk about the three components that you teach, which starts with mindfulness and then meditation and then manifesting. I thought it was really interesting to break it out that way. Will you share a little bit about each of those components? So yeah, this is a relatively new development in the world of Ziva and just that we've clarified exactly what the Ziva technique is. And that's come from having the honor of teaching so many people to meditate and specifically high performers, high achievers. And by the way, I would define that as anyone who wants to be better every day. 
A lot of people think, well, I'm not a high performer. I'm not a CEO or a movie star, but I would say you're a high performer if you're looking to optimize your brain and your body. If you want to be better tomorrow than you are today, Mm -hmm. that's how I would define high performer. And meditation is a huge part of that. And it's a big part of my story. I found meditation when I was on Broadway and it cured my insomnia and it really impacted my life. But there were other tools that also helped me. And I started to see what was really moving the needle for my students. And from that was born the Ziva Technique, which is this beautiful trifecta of, as you said, mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting. And I like to think of mindfulness as the appetizer, meaning that I use it as a runway almost. It's something active. It's a left brain thing that people can do that gives them a runway into the surrender and the rest that is meditation. Because for most high performers and high achievers, they're going 60 miles an hour all day, every day. And to go from that mode into bam, like surrender and rest of meditation, that transition can feel a little bit too abrupt. And sometimes they need a bit of an appetizer, a bit of a runway. And that's where I think mindfulness can play a really beautiful role because it's a bit more active. It's a bit more left brain. And then I also use mindfulness as a tool to help people when they're moving through that purging process, because that's something they could do if they do feel uncomfortable or sad or angry, they can practice mindfulness to help them through that, to not be so reactive to it. Are you saying with mindfulness, you're helping people in that first phase of the course to bring more awareness into the present moment? Yeah. So the techniques that I'm using, and there are thousands of different mindfulness tools and techniques. What I teach is something called the 2x breath, which is very simple, but also quite powerful. And it's, you're basically just doubling the length of your exhale from your inhale. And that helps to strengthen the vagus nerve, which is the thing that connects the brain to the body or your heart to your head. And And so we start with that, and then I move through a technique called come to your senses, which is, again, very simple, but very effective at, like you said, bringing people into the present moment. And when you do that, when you actually get people into the right here, right now, it's an effective way to change their state, because that is the only place that our bliss and fulfillment hang out. It's always found inside of you, and it's always found in this moment. And that's great to understand that as an intellectual concept, but it's much more beautiful and powerful to have tools to actually access that. And so in the come to your senses exercise, I basically just give people tools to move towards the positive instead of away from the negative, because you can't move away from your stress. (laughs) You have to move towards something else. So we start with the mindfulness, and then we move into the meditation. And the mindfulness I teach a decent amount of in this free masterclass, the stress solution. The meditation portion is a little bit more in depth, and that is something that I teach in our brand new online course called Ziva Online. But the third M, which is what I've been talking about this whole time, this like deep rest, this getting rid of your stress from the past, that's the meditation component. And then the manifesting, which is the third piece, which is like the dessert of the Ziva technique, is all about creating your dreams for the future. So if mindfulness deals with your stress in the present, meditation is getting rid of your stress from the past and manifesting to help you deal with your dreams for the future. And I know that this word manifesting gets a kind of a bad rap because people think like, especially high achievers, like, oh, you want me to just like sit around and like secret my dreams all day? Or I actually have a job. And to me, manifesting is not about passivity. It's about consciously creating a life that you love. It's about taking the time to actually listen to your desires and to get clear on what it is that you want to create in the world. And I'm constantly fascinated by how frequently I meet people who don't take the time to really place the order. We're dealing with this beautiful cosmic buffet. It's an all-you-can-eat buffet restaurant. (laughs) 
And we don't ever place the order. We don't ever go up and choose exactly what it is that we want. We just sit down at a table and say, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I need food. I want food. I'm so hungry. It's like we just complain about what we don't have. We worship our non-achievements and our non-possessions when the nature is trying to give us what we want all the time. And so in the manifesting, which is something that I walk people through inside of the free masterclass, is basically just an exercise to take the time to listen to what your desires are and then place the order with what I call the cosmic waitress. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about her. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she's very smart. But you have to be very specific with her because you can't just say, I want food. I'm hungry. I want food. I mean, imagine walking into a restaurant and being, I'm so hungry. Can you please bring me some food? We should be like, sure. What do you want? You have to order something. And so this manifesting tool is simply giving you like, okay, I want a Caesar salad with the dressing on the side. And I'd like some tea with no ice. And can you bring me some gluten-free bread? And then the waitress is like, sure, coming right up. Many people are going through their lives being like, I just want more money and I just want a boyfriend, but they don't take the time to actually get specific about it. And so what I teach in the masterclass is a very simple trick around manifesting. And that's simply visualizing your dreams as if they're happening now. And this is a big point. Like it might seem simple, but what most of us do when we think about our dreams or if we pray or if we make vision boards, then we inadvertently celebrate or worship the absence of the thing. Like, I really need a boyfriend. I want a boyfriend so bad. When am I going to get a boyfriend? Why don't I have a boyfriend? It's not fair. And so then we're like inadvertently watering weeds when really we want to be watering the flowers. And so these manifesting tools are giving you tools to start to put your attention on the thing itself as if it's happening now so that you can get yourself into the feeling space of that dream being your current reality. And that is a very different phenomenon than please, please, can I have some more? One is begging and the other one is assuming that it's on the way. So is what you're saying, I just talked to a doctor about this on a recent interview, this idea of setting an intention, but feeling an elevated emotion with that intention to really feel it. Oh, that's beautifully said. And yes, that's spot on. Yes, we have to set the intention. We have to place the order. But the thing that's going to expediate the delivery of that order is you believing that it's on the way, you believing that you deserve it. That's why we do the visualization exercise because you actually start to let, and this is going to sound hippy dippy, but it's like you start to let the cells in your body vibrate on the frequency of your desire versus vibrating on the frequency of the lack of the thing. It would be the difference between going into a restaurant Placing an order and then trusting that it's going to come. When you go to a restaurant and you have money to pay for it and you place an order and no one tells you that they're out of that thing, like you just assume that your order is going to show up. That is not how most of us are living our lives with our dreams. It's like, I want this boyfriend. I want a million dollars. I want this job, but I don't really believe that I deserve it. And I'm not really sure that it's going to come. And if it does come, I might feel guilty or ashamed that I have more than my family or friends. And so I'm just going to feel comfortable and safe swimming around in like worshiping the lack of the thing. Mm. It feels aspirational. It feels like I'm moving forward. It's the illusion of progress, but I'm not actually changing my mental state and I'm not actually doing the work that it takes to believe that I deserve this thing. I believe in life, you don't get what you want. You get what you believe you deserve. Yeah. And so this manifesting exercise is an opportunity for you to start to believe that you deserve your desires. 
oftentimes we as humans, I think our job is to really focus on the what and the why. Like, what do you want and why do you want it? And where we humans mess it up is that we get attached to the outcome. We don't trust the process. We don't trust that it's on the way. We sometimes don't trust that we deserve it. And then we try to control when and how it shows up. Yeah. And when we start tinkering with the when and the how, we mess it all up. That's control. That's attachment to the outcome. And so where this becomes a real art is the balance between, like you said, setting that intention, but then being totally surrendered to any outcome, trusting that nature has more information than we do. I like that you have this in this order of mindfulness meditation and then manifesting, because I think that idea of having meditation before you begin manifesting to really quiet your self and let go of stress makes it so much easier to hear what may be the whispers for you. Yes. Thank you for saying that. Okay. And you're absolutely right. The combination of meditation and manifesting is so much more powerful than doing either one on their own. Like I really think that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And look, there's no greater fan of meditation than me. Like I love it. It's changed my life. I've dedicated my entire life to it. And you could meditate all day, but if you don't get clear about what it is that you want in your life and you're not clear on your dreams, then it's very hard for them to show up. And conversely, you could be vision boarding all day. You could be manifesting all day, but if you're not meditating, then it's very hard to believe that you deserve those things. And it's very hard to be detached about the timing and the outcome. And so what I found is that really the combination of those is so efficient and effective and powerful. I want to ask a question that I know a lot of our listeners have, and I think you talk about it quite a bit. People are super frustrated because they can't quiet their mind during the meditation process. And their question is always, how can I get my mind to stop thinking? Mm -hmm. And I know you talk a lot about that in relation to, that would be like trying to get your heart to stop beating. Mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit about that? Sure. And thank you for bringing this up because it really is, I would say, the number one misconception around meditation and it's keeping so many people from meditating. And we really, Patricia, we have to find this guy who's telling everybody to clear their minds and we've got to <laughs> meditate because he's robbing millions and millions, potentially billions of people of a lifetime of bliss and fulfillment because then people start judging themselves based on misinformation. Now, I'm not saying that it's impossible to change your state of consciousness. It is, or I wouldn't have a job. It's possible to change your state of consciousness. What's not possible is giving the brain a command to shut up. It just doesn't work. No one's ever been able to do it. And if they have, I would love to meet them and learn from them. But it's also not the point. Like the mind thinks involuntarily, just like you were saying, just like the heart beats involuntarily. So just to drive this point home, I actually want everyone for real on the count of three to give their heart a command to stop beating. Three, <laughs> one, two, three. Ooh, and I hope no one writes in and it's like, I died during the podcast. I know, I, I'm hoping the same thing. <laughs> But we see that that's a ridiculous goal to have. And yet this is the goal that everyone has when they sit down to meditate. They're like, okay, brain, stop thinking. Oh boy, I sure would like a snack. <laughs> Why am I thinking about snacks? Snacks are delicious. I'm thinking about snacks. I suck at meditation. I quit. And that's the beginning and the end of most people's meditation career. And so what's happening there is that they're trying to do something with no training usually that is not the point. 
It would be like going to the gym and looking in the mirror and being like, okay, muscles, get big. Get really big muscles but without <laughs> lifting any weights. Right. <laughs> and so what people are doing is that when they say, I'm trying to clear my mind, they're going for an outcome without understanding the process. When you're actually in meditation, it has nothing to do with how many or few thoughts that you're having. When people say their mind is clear, they're talking about an effect. They're talking about how they feel after they meditate. They have more clarity, they have more space, they have the ability to focus, but those are all byproducts of a catharsis that happens during the meditation. And often that catharsis is very noisy. Often the meditation is a release of sorts. Now this depends very much on what type of meditation you're practicing. But at Ziva, what we're doing is we give people a tool, which is like a mantra, and that de-excites the nervous system. And when you de-excite something, you create order. And when you create order in your body, that's what allows that stress to start to come up and out. But that stress comes up and out in the form of thoughts. And so you start having thoughts during the meditation, but those are not the enemy. Those are actually the very thing that is allowing you to perform better in the rest of your life. It's like if your house was dirty, and you were to hire a cleaning crew to come and clean it because you were on a time crunch, and then you came in the middle of the cleaning, you wouldn't yell at them for moving the couch and vacuuming the floor and spraying Windex. Like the place has to get a little messier before it gets cleaner, but you're not going to be mad at the cleaning crew for doing that. Similarly, you don't want to get mad at yourself for having thoughts during meditation because that's the cleaning crew coming in and clearing out all those old stresses so that you can have more space, more clarity, more organization after the meditation. Well said. Thank you so much. I love all of your comparisons to food and cleaning, all your analogies. I want to share with everyone that you have been up all night helping mm. your best friend since fourth grade, I think you mm -hmm. said, give birth to a little baby. Will you tell us about that experience? Oh, it would be my absolute pleasure. So yeah, my best friend in the whole world, we were actually born on each other's due dates. Our moms were friends when we were born and then we became best friends in I think it was actually sixth grade. Anyway, she was pregnant and she invited me to be a part of her birth. This is her third child and she wanted to have a water birth at home with her midwife. And so it was just me and her husband and her midwife and her, she went over two weeks past her due date. So I flew home two weeks ago to be here for the due date. I was here for six days and then I had to go back to New York because I had to teach. And I was devastated because I thought I was going to miss the birth, but that baby just stayed put in there. So I was able to come back home for the holidays and Anyway, I was there for the birth and it happened last night. So if I sound a little tired, that's why I haven't slept yet. <laughs> Such an incredible experience. And I highly encourage anyone, if you have the opportunity to be at a birth, I really would take it. And similarly with death, like I know people are so scared of birth and so scared of death, but if you have the opportunity to be with someone as they take their first or last breath, I mean, what a gift, what a beautiful gift and yeah. what a beautiful reminder of our ultimate impermanence. This is finite, the amount of days, the amount of breaths that we have in this life. But it was really beautiful. It was fast. Her birth happened in three hours and it was in the water and I got to cut the cord and she's just perfect. She's so calm and chill. And she's also a meditator. My best friend meditates she has <laughs> for five years. So she meditated all through her pregnancy. And I don't think she had time to meditate through her labor because it was like... So fast. Yeah. I encourage women to meditate in between contractions if they can. If they have 10 minutes, it's a nice way for the body to rest and recuperate. But hers was just like, bang, it was right out of the gate. Congratulations. That's so exciting. 
Emily, thank you so much for being with us today. You make everything so accessible, but so fun. Thank you. (laughs) We love you. I love you too. Thank you for having me. And thank you so much for sharing this masterclass with the tribe. I'm really excited for people to experience it. Yeah, I think it would be an awesome thing to do this year. Thanks so much to Emily for being with us today. For more information on her course, check out zivameditation.com slash ziva-stress-solution. If you have feedback or suggestions for guests, email us at patricia at meditationstudioapp.com. And don't forget to download Meditation Studio in the App Store. We'll see you next time.